And is it true? I, I read in um, I think a post on your website that uh, Steve Wozniak was your first support call. Uh, yes, he actually was. He was the first support call in the U.S. <laughs> okay, uh, okay. I, I I should add. <laughs> And uh, as I always joke, I mean, this was at a time when uh, the only people having cell phones that were people like uh, drug dealers and Steve Wozniak. <laughs> and uh, he actually called in from his cell phone and he had purchased two of the net eyes and uh, he couldn't figure out how to operate them fully because the manual wasn't that great in the early days. Hey, Martin, welcome to uh, our podcast shit that you wish your building did um in this podcast we like to talk about uh, the intersection of um uh, technology and commercial buildings um and you know i think video surveillance definitely sits um within within that framework and um really interesting to talk to you today about about your company well i'm glad to be here it's a beautiful day here in stockholm and the uh, sun is shining one of the main reasons i wanted to uh, or invited you to come along was to talk obviously about video surveillance but about um innovation and i know that this year you're celebrating 25 years of um the first network video camera that's absolutely right and we're not only celebrating the 25 years of the first network camera we also celebrate 20 years of the first edge-based video analytics something actually access did back in 2001 okay and we are celebrating 15 years of uh, the first product with downloadable analytics, which was an old video encoder we introduced in 2006. And it actually had, you could upload various applications onto it. It was a little bit too early for its time, so it wasn't really a big success. But uh, actually, it really proved where the industry was yeah. going. Yeah. And uh, we, we have done so many innovations during the years. I mean, these are just some to highlight. Exactly. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. So I thought maybe the best place to start would be back the, in the, the 25 years, you know, um, with with that camera. Um, if I'm right in saying, was it it was one frame every 17 seconds? Yeah, it was kind of slow because uh, at that time there were no video compression chips available that was suited for making an IP camera because we put the spec that it should be compatible with a web browser and uh, it had to generate a lot of motion JPEGs and uh, yeah. That was the performance we could get. But we know for sure that we were would be able to improve that in the future, thanks to Moore's Law. Yeah. And, I mean, tell us about that, um, the decisions you took at that time. I mean, how, how, did, how did it come about, um, the sort of uh, the genesis of that product? And then, you know, what, what, what made you um, think about going forward with it and developing it? So what uh, we did was, you should remember that the Axis DNA, we were a print server company connecting printers to networks. And uh, that evolved into becoming an IoT company. I think we were definitely the world's first company to ship IoT in volume in terms of the print servers and the storage servers. And within that framework, we saw an opportunity. Hey, there's uh, video cameras. We can network enable them. Uh, they're all analog got to be a market and uh, what we did was that we decided to do the first network camera more because we could rather than because we saw a market mm. but uh, Axis we're very market oriented as you know so when we started designing it we immediately went to various trade shows I remember my first IFSEC and I thought I came back to the, the like middle <laughs> ages 
I mean, it was so outdated, the technology they were showing there. So I said, okay, either we are onto something really, really big, or we just don't understand. So that was the moment for you where you thought, hang on, this could be something uh, that, that changes the Yeah, game. that was IFSEC 96. I mean, uh, this was in May, and we were, I remember we drove up to Scotland afterwards and had a really good time. Uh, but... Uh, I also understood then that this industry is all analog mm. and it's also the analog way of doing business. I mean, with the manufacturers, reps and so on, mm. inflated pricing. Mm. So uh, this uh, we took to our mind when we uh, then decided to launch it in September, the very same year. And uh, well, the rest is history, mm. so to speak. Absolutely. And is it true, I, I read in, um, I think, a post on your website that uh, Steve Wozniak was your first support call. Uh, yes, he actually was. He was the first support call in the U.S., <laughs> okay, uh, okay. I, I, I should add. <laughs> and uh, as I always joke, I mean, this was at a time when uh, the only people having cell phones that were people like uh, drug dealers and Steve Wozniak. <laughs> and uh, he actually called in from his cell phone, and he had purchased two of the NetEyes, and uh, he couldn't figure out how to operate them fully because the manual wasn't that great in the early days. Okay. But then I got to see him some, uh, I think, seven years ago at ASIS in Chicago. And uh, he was the keynote speaker. And uh, I had uh, booked a private meeting with him. Yeah. So uh, he comes in and I come in and he says, so why, why do you want to see me, Martin? And I say, well, it's because you bought the first two NetEyes. And then there was, he says, well, I didn't just get two of them. I got a whole bunch of them and I still keep them in my basement. Now, that's one happy customer and a true innovator. Yeah. And he's a super friendly guy. Okay, brilliant. I mean, it's, it's fascinating, really. I mean, the whole story about <coughs> how it developed. And I think not just from the product perspective, but how, how it changed the market. I mean, again, wh when did you get a sense that, um, that it had tipped away from analog? Because, I mean, of course, I'm sure you, you sales ramped up over the years and you were thinking, yeah, okay, we're definitely onto something. But... There was still resistance at that point, wasn't there? I it? mean, the resistance lasted for quite some time. I mean, at first when we launched the NetEye, I mean, the number one customer request, that was, I already have an existing analog camera, I need to network enable it. Mm. Uh, and that was like the, by far the most common request in the early days. So uh, we also invented the world's first video encoder. Uh, and that was a, a customer demand. Then came the uh, 2100, which really was the revolution product, because that's when we brought in embedded Linux into the cameras. Mm. And embedded Linux, that's basically how every network camera in the world is built today. But the 2100 was the first. It was the number one selling network camera for six years in a row. And uh, we probably could have sold it for another five years if we had had access to the components. Mm. So this made the network cameras popular, we also got competition. That's when Sony introduced one, D-Link and uh, some others. So then that legitimized the market and industry. So What yeah. year was that? Uh, I think it was 2001. Okay. I, maybe I should ask someone at Sony to have it confirmed. Right. But yeah. I think that was the year. Yeah. And uh, then uh, you're asking when, what year, I mean, was really the tipping point? Well, if you remember in the early 2000s, uh, there was a megapixel race, and initially Axis was a bit late uh, because we, we were just focusing on transforming existing installations from analog to IP. 
But uh, we introduced our first uh, 1.3 megapixel camera, I think it was in 2003, maybe four. And then the debate was, okay, how many megapixels? And you all remember from, from the still camera war, it was also about megapixels, and then the cell phones. So the tipping point, I think, really came in 2008-2009, because that's when everyone started to get the flat TVs at home. And what resolution did, you, did they have? Remember? They were HD. It was uh, HD and full HD. So at Axis, we took the position, okay, all our products should be HD. Because an average person can remember analog NTSC resolution and HD, that's what they have in the living room. Why should they settle for less as a security professional? That's kind of stupid. Mm. So it was a very strong message. And we also matched it with the new compression. Mm -hmm. Because the early network cameras, they were all motion JPEG. And with full HD, motion JPEG was simply too much data. And that's when H.264 compression came in. And what we did at Axis was that we went to our partners and we told them, you've got to do this H.264. And basically, initially, they refused. But uh, we gave them a big carrot, and uh, as we say in Sweden, at least. Uh, so they really were motivated to do it. We invited them for free to various events if they had good support for H.264 and HD. And uh, in one year, the year of 2009, in the beginning, it was like 2 or 3% of our sales were HD. In the end of the year, 90% okay. of our sales. I remember we had some luck as well, because this was the financial crisis, the recession of 2008 and 9. So most of our co competitors, they were cutting down on spending. And we all remember, I mean, how Pelco got acquired by Schneider, And Schneider put a travel ban on all the salespeople, and uh, they did a lot of silly things at uh, Pelco. They, they stopped the tech support, which was really the, the DNA of Pelco. And they made so many mistakes at that time, and that just helped us, because we were not cutting down on spending. We were growing like crazy, mm. and that was definitely the year that when everyone realized that the future is not analog. Mm. And uh, network cameras are winning. And then I think it was like 2000, was it 17 or maybe 18, which really was the year when analog passed away for good. Mm. Yeah. Yep. I, I saw recently as well, you, you published an article on TechCrunch. <clears throat> One thing that stood out to me, you, you mentioned um, connected cameras weren't something the market had been clamoring for and many experts questioned they were even necessary. And it kind of reminds me of... Um, you know, that quote they say that Henry Ford never made about if they'd <laughs> asked me yeah. what I wanted, they'd say faster horses. Exactly. I mean, I mean, sort of that speaks, I guess, to, you know, innovation and like how within a company you, you think about it. I mean, I mean, what, why did you at that time ignore, not ignore, but like not sort of think too much about the consensus in the industry and decide to do something that was different? Well, because we had no, uh, we we didn't have a legacy. I mean, we were a print server company. We kn we knew that print servers were going to be built into the printers, and that we had to switch and do something else. And uh, here, the camera it's growing like crazy. I mean, we were w with the twenty one hundred that year. We grew more than one hundred and fifty percent. 
And that was actually from relatively high numbers. So we, we really saw that this is something big and not having the legacy of uh, uh, analog business model. I mean, we could also innovate there. So our innovation was was really very basic, and that was the strict two-tiered uh, distribution model where we sell to a distributor who sells to the integrator, who sells to the end mm-hmm. user, and makes a best-of-breed and a good ecosystem. And uh, that was not the case with analog. Remember Pelco? They were selling Pelco cabling, Pelco everything, and that just doesn't work in a network environment. Yeah, so you, you were... They had to protect what they already had, whereas yeah. you were able to come and, and think about things differently and, and put in the right structure to, to, exactly. to sell that product. Yeah. Um, and in um, sort of slightly switching subject, but in that same article, I think one of the other things I saw were your comments about cybersecurity, which mm-hmm. is we, something we've written a lot about and I think is really interesting, especially at the moment. Um, I think you said cybersecurity will also be a growing concern for both manufacturers and end users. And, you know, we actually have experienced something here in Sweden quite recently with uh, a retail company mm-hmm. uh, going down for well, at least a few days, I think, um, because of a, a hack. I mean, what are, you, what are your thoughts um, on what the situ- where we are at the moment with that? Well, I mean, people don't understand the importance and need of cybersecurity. I mean, so many people have bad passwords and... Uh, uh, I mean, with social engineering, it's really easy, I mean, to, to make it into various uh, sites. So uh, when, when talking about embedded devices, it's even worse. I mean, because an integrator could sell them, and uh, in worst case, the integrator has a hidden backdoor that he puts in into the cameras so that all his systems actually have the same password and user IDs. And that's, of course, horrible, mm. but it, it's unfortunately very common. Yeah, we're still seeing it, right? There was something yeah. earlier this year. And then there are bugs. I mean, uh, er, er, there, there is no software that's bug-free, not even an Axis software. But uh, what matters is that if you have procedures, so if you look on cybersecurity, I always say that it breaks, time, breaks down to the three factors of time. So the number one is the time to actually fix it. So once a cybersecurity researcher or once your internal uh, cyber department finds a bug, it is the time it actually takes for you to fix it. And the time to fix it in not just one product, but obviously all your firmwares. The second time is when uh, uh, the time to communicate it, to get it out. And the final t- and <coughs> the other time is also the time that the... Uh, the end user needs to take in order to do the upgrades because this could be quite cumbersome if you have tens of thousands of cameras spread around the country. And then finally, it's the time that you're using your products. So we give a normal three-year warranty. We tell the customer that uh, they should work for five years. And in reality, average life is probably seven years. But uh, we have all seen black and white cameras uh, analog cameras at airports, which are like 25 years old. So their real life can be much longer. So in order to cope with this at Axis, we have a concept that we call LTS, long-term support. And that means that we guarantee to upgrade our products for cybersecurity issues over a longer time than the warranty. And that promise is free of charge. So you can keep on using your old cameras and upgrade them. 
And we cannot say an exact time, but our target is five to seven years. Of course, in the end, it's impossible to, to, to even upgrade because they run out of memory, mm. new libraries, and blah, 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 blah. Mm. So we cannot guarantee forever, but we guarantee for as long as it's technically viable. Okay. And that's quite a strong promise, actually. Yeah. And it really, really reduces the, the lifetime cost for the end user. Yeah, it's a fascinating subject. I mean, I mean, you've given a sort of perspective there from the manufacturer. It makes makes great sense. What would you sort of give advice to? Because again, like you, we have to think about the installer and the um, the end user in this in this process of you know being secure, being cyber secure. Would is there advice you would give to um, installers about best practice or? Well, the best practice is, is of course, I mean, uh, to have procedures for managing the upgrades. But um, one should also understand that uh, many of the cameras, especially in larger systems, so they come with a lot of other software. So they come with like an enterprise software like a Genetech or Milestone, and they come with other integrations. And what typically happens is that the customer gets stuck in an old version. So they cannot upgrade the, the, the milestone or genetic as often as they would like. And that means that sometimes they also require old versions of the access cameras. So I think the number one rule is to have uh, the video surveillance camera network air-gapped compared to the uh, rest of the network and uh, also in relation to the internet. Okay, and by that you mean basically it making sure it's... Um it's separated from, from other enterprise networks? Well, it's at least separated. And, uh, of course, you can have someone hack in because there could be this empty, like, team viewer pieces sitting along. I mean, that's how they broke into that retailer here in Sweden that was mm -hmm. down for almost a week. So there are always going to be holes. So even though you're air-gapped, you still need to adhere to good security standards. But uh, at least you minimize the risk compared to not being air-gapped. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, um, again, something <coughs> we, we identified as well, I think that's, that's really good advice. Um, something else I, I wanted to ask as well was about um, uh, your, your, your system on, on chip, actually. You've just come out with this eighth generation. Mm -hmm. So actually, it's, it's, I didn't realize this, but it's, it's sort of quite a long history of you developing your own... Uh, your 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 own uh, silicon, right? Yes, we actually began. We did our first silicon for the print servers. That was in uh, 1987, and I remember. I mean, I was uh, designing that chip myself. Uh, I was in Bracknell uh, in England. Uh, it's a horrible place, <laughs> by the way. Uh, but I lived in Eton, which is a nice place. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, but that was the first print server chip we did. And uh, during that IFSEC in 1996, when I saw everything being analog, that's where I said, we got to make a chip here. So uh, uh, we hadn't yet launched the camera, and I had a deal with uh, the board. And the deal was if I could sell 10,000 of the NetEyes, we would create a camera division. Mm. We actually managed to sell 14,000 of them, despite the really bad performance. But uh, we found a lot of niche applications it's a lot of applications that require like a frame a day. So, mm. for instance, we were looking at cell phone towers. And when you're looking at the cell phone tower, you look at it because of course people are not stealing cell phone towers. Maybe they are, but not to my knowledge. Mm. But they look that the wind may have moved them out of direction. 
And then you have a reference picture and you can compare with. So after a storm, you want to see, is, is it still intact? Are they pointing in the right direction or not? That's a typical one frame a day application. Mm. Yeah. So uh, we decided uh, quite early that uh, we got to make this chip because we saw the opportunity. So the chip, uh, we started the design in uh, 97 uh, and all the work was in 98 and that's all good things. It was a little bit delayed. So <laughs> we got it early in 99 and uh, that was what enabled us to do the full frame video encoder and network cameras. Okay. So, I mean, really, it, it, it drove the business. And I think that was my next question was, I mean, how important is it, has it been to, to have your own custom custom? Chips? Oh, it, it's been essential. I mean, uh, having the chips, I mean, back in the 2000, when we did not have a chip, after all, we would never have conquered the industry by uh, one frame every 17 seconds. Uh, and then we did the second and third iteration and so on. They kept on improving. We did MPEG-4, which was really nobody picked it up because it was so cumbersome to use and it really didn't get a lot of benefits. But H.264 was totally different because the savings were so big. So it was worth the effort mm. of, of implementing it. And today, I mean, everyone in the industry is using H.264. Mm. Uh, our next big breakthrough was, I think, ARPIC-5 when we introduced the Zipstream, which was the, the first smart compression algorithm. So by having the, uh, the Zipstream, we could still, within the framework of H.264, reduce the bandwidth significantly. And especially if you look on a back door where there is no data, it really breaks down to no data. Mm. And that saves so much money on the storage. And now, this year, we're introducing the ARPIC-8. It's our, our last iteration of the, the ARPIC. And uh, this time, it comes, uh, as usual, with improved image quality. But uh, it also comes with a, a deep learning block. So now, all the ARPIC-8-based cameras can do deep learning. And that means that we will significantly improve the quality of all the analytics. So we have an analytics suite we call the Ad Axis Object Analyzer. So it's various forms of motion detection, cross-line detection, and so on. And uh, thanks to the deep learning aspect, they are going to become even more reliable than the previous versions. And what do you think <coughs> that means to, uh, let's say, innovation? You see, I, I'm, we, we look a lot at startup companies that are coming, coming through, not just in uh, you know, the security industry, but, but across sort of smart buildings. But we've seen a lot of new startups trying to look at AI um, applied to computer vision and, and video surveillance. But, I mean, if you're not doing your own um, silicon, is, does that put you at a disadvantage? Or does it, does it mean that it's just harder to innovate if you, if you don't have the resources to you know, put into developing? Um, I think it will be harder to innovate because it all begins with having good image quality, right? I mean, if you have good image quality, you do better analytics than if you have bad image quality. That's sort of a given. Uh, and uh, our art picks give us really, really amazing image quality. And I think everyone in the industry agrees on that. And they're also optimized for the video surveillance use case. Mm. They're not optimized for giving a beautiful video conference solution. It's very different technologies of compression. Mm. 
Uh, and then, I mean, by having it embedded on the chip, it gives a lot of advantages. Uh, but we all see, I mean, there are so many startups coming out. And, of course, some of them are going to be successful. That's sort of a given. But uh, it's also a lot of problems involved because uh, there have been so many startups. I mean, every university has, like, uh, an image processing department. They also have an incubator department and a scale-up department. And what typically happens is that there are these guys who have, or girls who have some really cool idea on image processing, and uh, they have a professor that loves them. And then they go to the incubator and say, hey, video surveillance, it's a manual industry. We're not using a lot of analytics. You're into onto something big. We can help you. And then they help them, and then they say, hey, you know what? You've got to protect what you're doing. You've got to get some patents. So then they apply, they get some patents, they get some seed funding from some local angels, uh, and uh, they try to scale it up. But in general, 99 out of 100 startups fail. And then the, the people who put in the money, they say, hey, so you had all those valuable patents, what are you going to do with them? Don't they hold a lot of value, as she told us? And then they basically get forced to sell them. So then they sell those patents to various patent trolls such as Acacia Networks and so on. And that means that if you are a successful video startup, once you really do some business, you know for sure you're going to be sued by the patent trolls. So it's a nasty yeah. climate out there. Yeah, yeah, interesting. I mean, I mean, on that theme of kind of innovation, I mean, I've seen over the years you've, you've bought quite a few different, uh, and not just in video, right, different products to market. I'm thinking like the... Uh, audio um, network, networked audio, um, also the body-worn cameras, that was something, um, you, um, a product, a new product line you released recently. How do you, I mean, it'd be interesting just for you to talk a little bit about, you know, taking a an idea, right? Um, and then, I mean, how do you bring that product and then how through and to market? So we always, when we innovate, we always look for our, our business model and channel. So Axis, we have like 200 distributors globally and 80,000 integrated partners. That's a lot. Mm. So we got to look for what can our partners do. So they're security professionals in general. And we learned that, uh, hey, we have a video surveillance system and we see some bad guys going out there. What do you want to do? You want to talk to them and say, hey, go away. Most people, they, they do go away when they see someone is watching them. And that's really how we got the idea of uh, the uh, horn speaker. So we complement our video surveillance systems with speakers. And uh, then uh, not just horn speakers for like a perimeter. We do uh, cabinet speakers for like railway platforms, ra railway stations, airports, uh, and also shopping malls or even education market. It's a lot of need for audio to complement the video. So we try to innovate from what we can sell, what, where we have customer synergies. Mm. We At Axis, we don't do like machine vision cameras. And uh, of course, technically, it's very similar, but it's a completely different use case. Sitting in a factory in a controlled light environment, doing super advanced analytics on the edge. And uh, that type of analytics, I think, is more suited for the specialty providers. Mm. In theory, we could do it, but our business model wouldn't really scale. And internally, how do you? How would you set that up? Like, 
and and incubate that product within do do you create a new department and then and then bring well, the what what like we that? do is that <coughs> we actually have two departments so we have one department where I'm actually working myself it's called new business and it's a department that tries to innovate outside video products uh, but according to the business model so we try to do customer centric products uh, then we have another department. It's called the New Concepts and Ideas. Uh, and uh, the New Concepts and Ideas, they basically try to do what's possible from a technology point of view, not necessarily with our customers in mind. Of course, a little bit. I, I'm, I'm part of a reference group for them. But they really try to be more technologically driven than customer driven. And... Uh, it's actually a good combination. So, for instance, the Netric Radar, that came out of a new concepts and ID group. Uh, the audio products, they came out of a new business team. So, we complement each other, and of course, we work together. Mm. But uh, I, I guess you see the difference from developing it from a technology point of view rather than a customer market point of view. Right, two, those two different perspectives. Yeah. They, can, they can work together. And you need both. Yeah. Uh, one last question for you. Um, you know, over this sort of journey you've been on the last 25 years, are there things or one thing in particular that, that stand out as something you would have done differently? Well, there always are. Uh, I probably could give you a, a book, <laughs> write a book on the subject, <laughs> sure. all the mistakes we did. Uh, but in general, I mean, most things were good. Uh, for instance, we were late on uh, Megapixel because we were so focused on replacing the existing uh, uh, business. I think we were a bit late on power over Ethernet. That was definitely by far the number one driver for network cameras, because you didn't need a certified electrician to plug the cables. Very simple fact. Uh, we had, uh, uh, at Axis, we didn't focus enough on the software side of it. We just focused on the hardware, because that's what we know the best. Uh, ah, there are so many mm. things you can name. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and just broadening that out a little bit, is there something, and I suppose right now, right, in the industry, video surveillance, do you think, you know, that, that should be changed or that, that you would like to see changed? Well, put it like this. We see a strong change in the industry of uh, the customers. They want, they, they seem to want uh, now go to that they want to buy a complete solution, especially for the small and mid-sized solutions mm -hmm. from one vendor. That's a very strong trend that we have to adapt to. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's why we start providing recorders mm -hmm. and uh, smaller scale software, uh, still using exactly the same business model. And uh, for the enterprise customer and the larger mid-sized customer, the way, depending on how you define it, we always see the partner approach because they always need specialty applications. It becomes more and more complicated. We also see, uh, as always, I mean, increased use of analytics. Uh, it's still not, uh, I mean, the super fancy analytics, but uh, definitely we see higher and higher uptake of it. Mm. Great. Martin, that's all, um, all my questions for today. Um, uh, just to say uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for, for joining me. And um, yeah, I wish you uh, another 25 years of success. Thank you very <laughs> much. Nice to be here. Bye-bye.